1: the creator and I'm joined today by Les Davis and we are going to have an in-depth discussion today about a topic that has consumed 14 years of my life and more than that for our guest and that is a discussion of the VA caregiver program and some of the good things and intentions and some of the things that have been challenging and today Um, in 2020 become confused and not clarified, and we'll give you some history, then we'll talk further about it. And this affects a lot of families in VA and going forward. So it's always about the vets, but as our tagline says, everyone serves, and together we make a difference. So our show today is hopefully to give you a stage on which you understand the history, what you can do and what needs to be done, and why uh, the importance of helping our grievously injured, wounded, and ill veterans to help them live quality lives after serving. So our guest today is Lauren Price, who's the executive director and founder of Veteran Warriors. Lauren, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much, Linda. We greatly appreciate you inviting me.
1: Well, I think that this is something that has consumed so much of our lives and that of, you know, probably a, a good handful of organizations that we've all worked with, including uh, the big agency. But it's something that many people may not know about because some of our listeners, while connected to the military and the VA, may not know that when, in 2010, when the VA set out to create a caregiver program, to watch vets at home, to give them support, to give their family members, who are usually the caregivers, um, <laughs> financial support to keep the vets at home with a higher quality of life and out of institutions, that it was something new and different that they'd done. And it had a steep learning curve. So let's go back to 2010 and give the history of when they passed the first Caregivers and Veterans Omnibus Health Services Act of 2010. And then in 2011, the VA caregiver program came to pass. So why don't you start there with who was then eligible, uh, how they were taken care of, how how were they brought into the program, and what happened then? What did it look like?
2: Well, in the very beginning, there was actually almost a decade of lobbying that happened to bring it to the point of a law. And the lobbying came from not just the traditional VSOs, but advocates like yourself, like our organization, smaller ones, and the veterans and caregivers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, during the long lobbying process, one of the pieces that happens and and I really hope your listeners to listen to this piece because this is very important. That Congress orders on every single bill that ever comes in a thing called the Congressional Budget Office. It's an estimate of how much the bill will cost the American taxpayer. That if it's instituted into law, how much will this cost? And the CBO estimate for the initial language which was to include all eras of veterans into the what we now know to be the caregiver program was so astronomical that congress it was not the vso's it was not even the va and i'm not a huge fan I, but i'm going to tell the truth the va was not the impetus behind cutting it to specific eras it was the actually the time the house committee on veterans affairs looked at the cbo estimate and determined that the cost was so prohibitive to include all eras of veterans that they couldn't do it. So everybody went back to the argument table. I don't call it a negotiating table because that (laughs) implies compromises. Um, They went back to the arguing table and they came out with, we're just going to do post 9-11 veterans. We're just going to include post 9-11 veterans into this program that offers a a small stipend, and also numerous other services, respite care, uh, retreats and things like this for the caregiver, as well as health insurance for the caregiver if that caregiver has no other health insurance. That was also a key factor because the costs associated with the program were going to have to include the assumption that every caregiver would be eligible for health insurance. Now, that immediately launched a insurmountable divide in our community
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, to this very moment as you well know um, there is now a Grand Canyon between the post 911 veterans and the uh, the other eras I won't even pick out one particular one the they will, the, the pre-9-11 veterans, I'm sorry, I'm trying to turn this off. Um, my Can you turn it down a
1: little bit? It might
2: help. It's my email making lots of noises, and I'm trying to make it go to sleep, but it won't. Um, the, the The problem was is that neither Congress nor the VA came out and said, hey, this is why we came up with this methodology, that it was just going to cost a small fortune, but um, also, they did take into account that the post 9-11 veterans were surviving catastrophic injuries. Injuries yes. that he yes. 40 years ago would have resulted in their deaths on the battlefield. So we have veterans coming home with horrendous traumatic brain injuries, including what we call perforating ones where they've been shot in the head, where they've lost three limbs, uh, things like this. and. Even though our healthcare is astronomically better now, we have modern medicine is beautiful. Um, these veterans now will require lifetime assistance with a variety of needs. And 50 years ago, they wouldn't have survived. So there's a whole new demographic of veterans that have these very, very serious injuries. And they chose that this group because of that, mm-hmm. not just solely because of the money but it to this very moment there are individuals out there that just vilify anyone associated with the post 911 veteran community and they they target all of us who are in the trenches trying to fight to get this program straightened out and to have it conform with the intent of the law because they're just so angry because now we are going back to 2010 10 years since the law was passed to create this program, they have been left out in the cold. And the caregiver program has two parts. One is this section. The other is the general caregiver program, which VA has essentially turned into a redheaded stepchild. They get very little service under that. And the caregiver support coordinators, in many cases, don't even understand that they are supposed to be helping the people in that program, that that's part of the work.
1: Let's talk about communication because I tend to think that one of the big problems in this program has been, you and I have spoken about this before, is that the VA does not communicate with clarity. Oftentimes the caregivers, because of the education your group, my group, and a handful of others gives the caregivers They're more knowledgeable than the VA's caregiver support coordinators, and add to that the fact that every visiting can operate the way it wants to. And so there is not uniformity or enterprise-wide clarity on what's going on. The one good thing about the original program was that it it set out eligibility requirements quite clearly. you could figure out who fits and who doesn't fit. You may not agree with it, but at least you could fit people into understanding why they did or didn't uh, fit into the program, qualify for the program. That's the word I was looking for. And we found, all of us did, that when you talk to someone and said, well, this is why you were rejected, it says it right here, they understood. But when they're not told and they're given something like, well, the things you're doing is what a wife would normally do. Comments like that enrage the community on top of what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, the the those are spousal duties. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually a very common line, as you and I and, and countless others of us out in the community, um, that we heard. Mm -hmm. Um, basically because you were married, you were expected to care for a triple amputee or a profound TBI victim for the rest of your life. And while the general world may say, yeah, you know, you marry somebody for better or worse sickness or health and you knew what you were getting into. That's the other line I absolutely love Mm -hmm. is no, we didn't know. Nobody knew. What we were getting into. And for your listeners who haven't heard me previously on the show or not aware of our organization, um, I am a 100% permanent and totally disabled veteran whose some of my injuries are physical um, and some of them are, I have PTSD, but the rest of them are very physical. And When I met my husband, I was physically able to run heavy equipment, um, run the mile in about seven minutes, and now he routinely has to care for me every single day. There's something every single day that he has to do to just never mind the whole quality of life thing. So people didn't set out for this. They didn't sign up for this.
1: Well, let me interrupt because we're coming up on a break. Um, Lauren is a a survivor of the burn pits, the upper respiratory things where they were burning everything, including jet fuel and compounds not known to mankind. And it is not acknowledged yet by VA as presumptive or covered. And these are additional things that have, Difficulty. We're going on our first break and we will be back to discuss further discussions of the VA caregiver program and how we can all help make it better. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
0: We're Military Network Radio and we'll be right back after these short messages. com or by calling 903-287-0747. It's words never
4: heard. Noah Webster was born in the month of April and that gives me an excuse to talk about one of my favorite people. The name Webster means female weaver and it took Noah Webster 27 years to compile his famous dictionary, which was finally published when he was 70 years old. The lexicographer went to Yale University and was the only one of five children to continue past grammar school. Noah Webster's book, An American Dictionary, published in 1828, contained definitions for about 70,000 words. As an adult, Noah was frequently in debt as he received less than one cent per copy from the 25 million blue-back spellers sold in his lifetime.
3: It's words you never
4: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back. We're talking with Lauren Price today about the VA Caregiver Act. And going back in history, uh, in 2018, in order to bridge the divide between covering post-9-11 caregivers and including the next group that they decided to bring in, which would have been the Vietnam era, they expanded through the VA Mission Act eligibility. And there were innate problems in the prior program, the prior eight years from 2010, 2011, where they started it, including how to make eligibility clearer, what to do to appeal, um, how to make it more uniform throughout the VA enterprise system. And there was a great expectation on the part of all of those us who worked with this group that there would be clarity made and perhaps restitution made to those who had been kicked out of the program for reasons that didn't make sense at the time and were still in an appeals process. Regrettably, when the Mission Act came up for what they call public discussion, it was right at the beginning of COVID. And so, Lauren, take it from there. What happened when this program began, began to have public discussion in March of 2020, or Or earlier earlier than that,
2: earlier, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go back a little bit. Mission was a huge omnibus bill, meaning that it was, just like it sounds, it's this massive bill that covered soup to nuts stuff in the VA. Um, This, the changes to this program, there were quite literally only three very, very small, um, less than 1,000 words (laughs) total, Um, sections in the Caregiver or in Mission Act that uh, that would affect this program, and one, literally had to do with they were mandating under color of law now that VA would be reporting to Congress annually rather than whenever they felt like it, Um, and two was that there was a software that used to be used called CATS, uh, the Caregiver Application Tracking System. And that was a standalone program that VA themselves, including the employees, uh, several years ago, going back uh, eight years ago, um, had told the OIG that they hated the program. It was horrible to work with, et cetera, et cetera. And VA promised to scrap it. What they discovered, though, in 2000, roughly, I want to say about 2012, about a year into the program's operation, was that it had a very unique feature, was that that program, that software, Did not copy over to anything in the veterans medical record, psychiatric record, nowhere. Nobody saw it other than the people working in the program. So it gave them the unique opportunity to uh, communicate without oversight. And they utilized that system to communicate about how they were going to, and the term we we borrowed and have used consistently because it fits is they determined they were gonna cull the herd. And when I say that, um, between 2000, December of 2013 and February of 2017, the VA revoked, meaning kicked out um, over 40,000 families out of the program. And we, my organization reviewed over 10,000 cases, and actually took on over 4,000 of those that they were unlawfully removed. They still met all the eligibility criteria, the legal and clinical eligibility, and they should not have been removed. Well, fast forward to 2018, Mission Act is passed into law, and the changes to this program about eligibility solely changed the areas of service that would be eligible. Mm -hmm. It would start on a tiered system as tiered schedule, rather, excuse me. that would allow, um, first would be, it it all sounds very counterintuitive, but everything with this program does, um, (laughs) that first it would be the Vietnam era, and then two years after they were put in, that the other eras would be allowed to apply. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that the software, they were also, that third caveat in the law was that they were gonna get new software and that they were gonna use a new software that was going to copy to the record, the medical record, so that the veteran and the caregiver and everybody else could actually see what was being communicated in the veteran's caregiver program file. Um, They were allowed, they were permitted to do that first. And they were given a deadline of October 1 of 18 to have it certified to Congress. Upon certification, they were to start taking applications from Vietnam-era families. The VA—excuse me—the current secretary was called in front of Congress during a hearing, at which time he blatantly lied to Congress. And Congressman Brownlee caught him, and on the record, repeatedly and finally argued with him long enough for him to admit that he um, had made a misstatement about when he had to have that certified to Congress. At that point, they were already a year late. They finally certified the software on October 1st of 2020, two years after they were supposed to.
1: And Let me add to this, that it also combined and put into place the non-medical database CATS that you talked about earlier. No, it didn't.
2: It It did not. Cats is
1: not in there now? It's not in Karma?
2: No, Cats is dead. Okay. Cats died. It was killed. Um, October of 2019, October 28th of 2019, they fielded Karma, which is the new program, which we all laughed hysterically about the name. The name is hilarious. Um, But they, they attempted a migration. Right. And to this day, we have yet to get any confirmation that anyone's record properly migrated. People have asked via FOIA and not gotten responses from VA, which is a typical response to a FOIA. Um, I I will be clear. There's something very important I need to say that the application process, we started off this segment about communication. Mm -hmm. My office went and met with the secretary's representatives in June of 2019 we had constructed and mind you I actually have specific criteria I have credentials I have done this before I have built from scratch a completely standalone training system for the DOD for a worldwide system that had to be trained to everyone that handled anybody going into theater Mm -hmm. I built it and then I trained the trainers worldwide. I built that for the DOD. I off, we built a standalone training system that we offered for free to the VA to train its employees on the new on, on the base law that governs this program right. and right. how eligibility needed to be assessed. And we offered it for free last June of 2019.
3: Mm-hmm. We
2: were told that that is a, and I'm quoting here, a tall ask. And it won't ever happen that they had no intention of training the employees. At that point, they had just a hair over six hundred employees in the program. Lest we have not confirmed this because no one will communicate mm-hmm. um, that they have roughly eight hundred employees now, and they have not trained them. They have not communicated with the veteran communicate the veteran community in any way, shape, or form publicly. There's been zero outreach about the Vietnam era being able to apply or what the criteria is. And we have reached out to other organizations. Um, We are looking to set up, we're probably going to be setting up essentially like TED Talks, um, doing it virtual because of the current climate in the nation, where we are going to walk through what the eligibility criteria is for people. Because VA still hasn't done it, and Mission Act was June of 2018. Um, we can't we can't force them to communicate with people when they they were supposed to change the stipend calculation according to these new rules that went into effect. And we'll get to that little joy thing. Um, they changed how they wanted to calculate the stipends, which is a violation of the law, by the way, because it's actually written into the law how that is to be done. They decided to change it. They changed it without warning on October 1 of this year. And they were supposed to do the assessments on the current participants first, and then do the siphon change. They didn't warn anybody. They didn't communicate anybody. And when the rank and file caregivers started receiving either odd amounts or their friend did, and they didn't, and all these things, and those people were up in arms, VA will not respond to them. They won't answer their questions. The caregiver hotline won't. The caregiver support coordinators won't. No one will respond to tell them what is going on. So to this very moment, the entire community out there is being stonewalled about what the next steps are, what to expect.
1: Uh, Let's take it further. The eligibility requirements have drastically changed. They didn't just take on new eras and keep the uh, eligibility and make them clearer and more uniform. They drastically changed the eligibility requirements, making them confusing, contradictory. People don't really understand them. And as you say, the communication is spotty. I do know that Vietnam veterans are applying at this point. And the big difference in this bill was that they also included injury, uh, excuse me, illness, as well as injury. So service-connected illness. And that was not conveyed prior to the presentation. So we have to go on another break. But when we come back, perhaps we can talk about how when this went into the comments period, that 200 comments were made and VA denied the grand majority of them. Do you agree with that?
5: Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. because in terms of clarifying eligibility as you move on with this program, that is not indeed what happened. It became more confusing. And the information is not uniformly transmitted to anyone. And so you have a group of people who are taking care of injured wounded and ill veterans now of multiple eras who don't honestly understand what is happening what is the process what do you go through and as lauren said the training that's taken place has not been visible or transparent to anyone so there is really no way to know who or whom to get in touch with so we're going to go on a short break and then we'll let les talk a little bit too (laughs) and we will come back uh, and talk further about the va caregiver program with lauren price executive director and founder of veteran warriors don't go away this is a big topic in va these days and we want to make it clear
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
6: Have you heard? where My
4: father and brother were both automobile insurance adjusters. As April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month, I thought I would share with you some funny excuses for accidents they have heard throughout the years. One giddy-pate driver told my dad that she was trying to get rid of the bee that flew in her car when she drove into the telephone pole. Many people blame an accident on the fact that they were emotionally upset or betwaddled or something. One guy explained that he pulled away from the side of the road glanced at his mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. Another person told the insurance company that they got into an accident because they had one eye on the truck in front of them, one eye on the pedestrian, and the other eye on the car in back of them. Now that's an alibi. That's a word for a glaring falsehood. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
5: Hey, welcome back, uh, Lauren and and, uh, Linda. As we were listening to uh, all the comments, and as a veteran who, Linda, when we first started doing the shows, I learned a lot about the caregiver program Mm -hmm. from from you, and I remember one of the shows... um, early on right when the caregiver program started I remember this lady was talking about uh, one of the hospitals up in around DC just let her husband go and I and didn't she wasn't there nobody contacted her and this was the reason the caregiver program was so essential and that's when I first started paying attention to this and this is I, I can't believe what I'm hearing and everything but I um, I don't know why this why VA felt a change was needed why why did this come about did, did did they hire consultants to say, yeah, hey, we need to revamp? Did, did they talk to caregivers and say, hey, these changes needed to be made? I mean, why did the VA feel? Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. First and foremost, um, they actually did hire um, a – I don't want to throw their name out here. Um, but no. they did hire a reputable organization to come in and do a, quote, survey. Um Quite ironically, they started at Hampton VA and they reached out to my partner, uh, Holly Farrell, and asked her to come in and give them 15 minutes. That's all they asked for was 15 minutes of her time to share with them uh, her perceptions and understandings of the program. Um, Apparently, nobody at Hampton which I think they were all hiding in a closet. Nobody at Hampton bothered to tell the survey people who Holly was. So Holly got in there and she said, okay, well, here's what we have already. What was supposed to be 15 minutes was two and a half hours later. um, And what they, what Holly took away from it was when the VA tasked this company with doing this survey, they didn't bother to tell them anything about, how they actually operated the program. So they went out with this very blind set of perceptions. They VA also even sat what's called the Special Medical Advisory Group, mm-hmm. whose meetings are held monthly, and they have a big quarterly public meeting every quarter. Um, those meetings that cost them a million dollars a pop, Um, And they did the same thing to that group. And I have to tell you, we sat in one of their quarterly meetings and I felt like dumb as a rock in this room of academics and medical and psychiatric community providers who are some of the most brilliant minds I've ever listened to. However... What we learned quickly was the room was, uh, the table, the group um, was roughly 17 people um, taken from all cross sections of the medical and psychiatric community. That VA had also hobbled them with the same blinders. They made recommendations such as doing quarterly in-home visits to to make sure that you had eyes on what was going on with the veteran. They made recommendations that um, offering respite care Would be a good idea because caregivers suffer from burnout at a rate of, I'm not joking here, Mm -hmm. but five times that of nurses and doctors in the actual medical community because they don't work 24 7. Uh, They made recommendations on things that already existed in the program. And while their insight was uh, enlightening for us, what it showed us was that VA was cherry picking so that they could get the information basically on paper to support. This is one comment that came from someone who was involved with making decisions about how this whole thing was gonna go forward. This was during a caregiver advisory committee meeting. That caregivers really aren't that intellectual or academically trained. And that they needed to be educated, in parentheses, by the people in the program or forced to um, go through budgetary training because none of them are very good with money. They seemingly have a chronic problem with managing their finances because, God forbid, they come to rely on money when they have to leave a lucrative career to care for their catastrophically wounded veteran, That was just one of the thousands of insults that we've heard come out of the leadership. And they genuinely do believe that the caregivers that are involved in our community are in this for, A, a check, and B, more importantly, that most of them are the equivalent of, excuse me, ever seen the website called People of Walmart? No. Um, yeah, our our caregivers have been equated to that, and the the part that infuriates me and challenges my partner Holly, she has she has the challenge of keeping me in my seat and out of jail. Um, my challenge is keeping my mouth shut in in meetings like this where I have to have decorum and comportment when these people blatantly insult the caregiver community, insult the veteran community, who I'm a part of, and make these blanket assumptions that nobody knows what they're doing and that we're all too stupid to figure this out and that we have to have these learned few um, educate us and control everything for us. At one point, they actually, during the discussions um, heading into Mission Act, they wanted to include um, making sure that the check, the stipend check, went into a separate account that the veteran couldn't touch because veterans are unreliable with money. Um, they wanted to mandate that both the veteran and caregiver went through budgeting classes as part of the program, that if you didn't do it, you couldn't be in it, um, and, and it just goes on from there. The I wanna jump real quick so we don't lose track. Um, so in March, uh, March 31st of this year, which most people in this nation know that that was about two weeks after COVID hit and that the federal government decided that we needed to essentially lock down the entire nation, including Washington. Um, March 31st, VA issued what they called proposed rules to change this program. Mind you, they were reminded repeatedly by Congress, several members of Congress, groups of members of Congress who wrote them letters that they don't have any legal authority to change any of the criteria that's written out in the law. And I want to be very clear eligibility for this program is written in the law. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to email it to anybody that wants it. I wish I had the money to take out billboards because I'd slather them all over, all around Washington just so that people out of 810 Vermont Avenue could read them every day. So the law says that there is a specific criteria for eligibility. VA took it upon themselves. And they spent four months doing this, building a 310-page document that is essentially birdcage liner. And they believe they're autonomous, and uh, they are—they are completely autonomous, and they don't have to answer to Congress because Congress actually doesn't have any authority to rein them in. The only people that have only person that has any authority to rein the VA in is the. President of the United States. So they know this. So they issued a 310-page document, and that was called the proposed rules, and they gave the general public a period of time to file comments on it. There were over 220 organizations, to include the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, who filed oppositional comments to this um, litany of these are VA's wish list of if they had their way, they'd change this program to basically not let anyone in so that they could just keep the money coming in. Cause that's the huge thing about this program is there's an enormous amount of money behind it. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
2: and everybody said, hey, um, hold your phone. That's just, no, you don't have this authority. Our organization worked with uh, National Veterans Legal Service Program and another firm, called a uh, law firm called Sidley Austin, and we filed joint comments. Um, our comments were 26 pages long because, you know, between lawyers and my big mouth, we can't stop talking. Um, so we filed 26-page comment that specifically identified where in the law that VA was violating the law by trying to change these things, and none of it mattered because on July 31st, after, please bear with me. It's important to know this. July 31st is after Congress goes on recess for the summer. VA issued its final rules. The same 310 page document issued it to go live on October 1 in the new fiscal year. And in it are things like, we're gonna change the eligibility criteria to now include a VBA, Veterans Benefit Administration rating percentage that you have to have that to be eligible for the program, where, in fact, neither in mission or the original caregiver law in 2010 is it ever mentioned. In fact, there's numerous discussion that is part of public record that says clearly that Congress never intended and did not want a rating percentage attached to the eligibility because you have a veteran that's 50% rated for PTSD, which is the minimum rating, and you to not have any of wrong with him or her and but require over 40 hours a week of supervision or protection so protect him from himself supervision to make sure he doesn't hurt himself or remember to take his meds et cetera. you et cetera. may not have anything else wrong with them but now under this new rule this veteran will not qualify for the program and i assure you we I, i've lost track of how many cases we can trot out in front of congress to show them that when they start playing games like this there are going to be very, very bad repercussions. So that was just one of the things. There are others. It used to say one or more, assistance with one or more of activities of daily living. And there is a list of seven criteria of the categories of criteria. VA now has three or more. They require three or more. And it has to be constant. Every single day, 24-7, you have to help this veteran with every single occurrence of this ADM. What it comes down to is VA way overstep their bounds. They do not have the legal authority to change the eligibility criteria, especially to restrict it further from what congressional intent or actual language of the law is. They have no authority to do this. So the fast forward is, um, my organization since October 1 has been fielding calls, emails, smoke signals. Um, the only thing fortunately we haven't had yet is somebody to show up at the door um, <clears throat> of rabid, and, and rightfully so, rabid caregivers who can't get communication from VA. They absolutely just flatly will not communicate with them.
1: Lauren, we have to um, stop. We're going on a break.
2: Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> Uh, last break, we'll be right back, and Lauren will continue to discuss some of the things that have changed and what we need to look for. Stay with us.
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
4: Know that alarm clocks were invented for people who don't have kids. But before the alarm clock was invented, how did people wake up in time for work? Previous to the alarm clock gaining popularity, people in Britain and Ireland might have been awakened each morning by a knocker-up. A knocker-up was a person that was paid a few pence a week to wake up slugabeds and clinomaniacs. Those are people who like to sleep in. Knocker-ups used pea shooters to roust folks who were oversleeping and long bamboo sticks to reach windows on higher floors. It was the responsibility of the knocker-up to not leave the window until they were sure their client didn't go back to sleep, even if they had metutilepia, otherwise known as waking up on the wrong side of the bed.
3: It's Words You Never heard.
4: I'm Carolyn Davidson and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Valentine's Day has been celebrated in different ways around the world. In Italy, one tradition suggests that the first man a single woman sees on Valentine's Day was the man she would eventually marry. What's a word for the first person you see after you leave the house in the morning? A qual tag. In South Africa, some women pin the name of their love interest on their shirt sleeves, following an ancient Roman tradition known as Lupercalia. This is how South African men learn of their secret admirers. In America, it is widely believed that if women don't receive a gift of candy, flowers, or a card from their guy on Valentine's Day, he's probably going to get dumped. This is usually the cause for a charrette or an 11th hour effort by men to buy their woman a Valentine's gift. It's Marching Day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app Too Funny for
0: Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back. One of the things that Lauren mentioned is very key to this is that suddenly now there is a requirement that the VBA rating system is used within these eligibility requirements. And some of these very serious ratings max out at much lower ratings. Lauren, let's go into that a
2: little bit. Um, we actually got a case yesterday because of the publicity that's going on around this, we're being unindated. Guy reached out to us that he's been denied for the program. Um, he's rated for 40%, for a, which is the maximum allowed for a service-connected chronic bowel obstruction, and without getting into the details of that, but that is the maximum allowed score for that. It it very significantly impacts his life. His wife has to provide an enormous amount of care. He's in and out of the hospital at least once a month. Um, they're threatening surgeries and all these things, and he is a post nine eleven veteran. But he's been denied for the program because they've already told him because he never applied before until after the blurbs. He saw, you know, some VSOs are you know, talking about the changes coming. So he saw something with one of the VSOs that come October 1, he could apply. He didn't understand that he actually was already eligible. Um, they've told him, the VA told him, the caregiver coordinators have said, well, you're not 70% for it, so therefore you're not eligible. Um that they don't have the authority to do this. So to be very blunt, there's a few things that we' we've, we've already went over, they, they, they did not publish that here's the list of criteria that make you eligible for this program. They took the existing eligibility, twisted it sideways, and then put a lot of double talk in it so that no one, and I have yet to meet, and I, we're working with five attorneys, on what we're doing right now, and none of them can figure out exactly what VA is trying to come up with for eligibility. And these are very, very uh, astute attorneys who deal with VA every day, and they know VA language. There's no current scoring methodology. They spent 310 pages to come up with this garbage and did not come up with a scoring methodology for eligibility. They had one before, but now they don't. They They wanted to throw that away because they use Everybody gets them to use their own. They refuse, VHA providers routinely do not have any comprehension of how the rating system works on the VBA side. They don't know that, you know, like a bowel, chronic bowel obstruction caused by a service-connected injury that maxes out at 40%. And the people that wrote this garbage They don't understand that either. And to be blunt, they did not include VBA in this discussion. They did not bring over the undersecretary of VBA. That person had no involvement in this. And we're going to say, you know, people that require the minimal assistance, we call them, you know, tier one level. Um, And I'm going to not name names, but um, Linda, you know who it is. Um, there's a VSO out there, and um, he's actually very, very well-known. Um, he's in the program, and he he freely admits he's in the program, and he discusses it, and he's open about it. Um, he's a Tier 1, meaning that his caregiver, which is his wife, provides about 10 hours a week of assistance to him because his job, working for a VSO, they provide him a paid assistant. So to be very transparent, you know, he has someone taking care of him during working hours that is paid by another party. So he doesn't try to claim that. The, he doesn't require, he's, he's very, very self-sufficient, except for the fact that the guy's in a wheelchair. So there are things that because he's in a wheelchair and he's, he's a paraplegic, so there are things that he needs assistance with randomly throughout the day. Um, VA doesn't take any of this into account anymore because that tier one level is basically gonna disappear completely under this new eligibility criteria. And the last thing I wanna say about this whole thing on this part is that we have long stated and very publicly discussed, there's a thing called scaffolding and just exactly what it sounds like, you don't even have to understand it for in the medical community. Scaffolding implies that you shore up something that you provide a framework surrounding it to hold it up and to steady it and to stabilize it. And that's what this was intended to be. This program was intended to be a scaffolding system jointly with VA and the family of the caregiver or of the veteran to create the scaffolding to allow the veteran the furthest and most stabilized recovery they could achieve and for them to live the best possible life they were capable of. That was the purpose.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And now, VA, quite literally, they spent from 2013 to 2017, quite systematically and quite Machiavellianly. Uh, you have no idea. Well, Linda, you do have no idea how ugly some of the things that they did to people were about stripping that scaffolding away. And now they've gone the extra mile, not a length, not an inch, a mile to do everything in their power to take this away. And I'm gonna, we're gonna, the last little thing I'm gonna share with you because I know we're running out of time now. Um, In last year's expenditures slash budget, the VA uh, for this program only received $900 million to run this program for all of the um, 19-20 fiscal year and they spent total, and this includes stipends, insurance, payroll, health insurance for their employees, every nickel and dime for this program came to $484 million. The math is not that hard, even for me. I And guess what? Um, because VA has never been audited, and I had several members of Congress who stood together and wanted an audit. And unfortunately, we walked right into, oh, we're going <clears> to <throat> have all kinds of craziness going on with the administration. And then we walked into a, federal, a presidential election. So that the determination that they had, those members of Congress that wanted audited, this program, they just like this program audited to start with. They said, um, you know, we we can't get anybody to pay attention long enough. The scaffolding is being ripped away from these veterans, and what are my are my personal fear and our organization's huge fear is the Vietnam era have been waiting so long to get in that they, they have no idea how bad it is, and that they didn't repair any of the problems that we identified in two separate roundtables and a congressional hearing and a meeting with the executive offices, which is the White House staff, and... N- numerous interviews they, we have evidence that they that coordinators were threatening caregivers with calling child services on them if they appealed the decision to be kicked out of the program not because they thought there was something wrong in the family in the household but because they just could threaten them we've had this kind of behavior never got fixed the rampant Lack of communication and open authority by the VA central office that they own and operate this, and that everybody in the entire enterprise, that every single facility will operate on the exact same set of rules nationwide, has never come out. Mm-mm. And it never will until something happens. And that's something, and um, My favorite thing is, you know, I always wondered when somebody would do something until one day I realized I was that somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Veteran Warriors has teamed up with, again, God bless them, I love these guys, um, National Veterans Legal Service Program, and Sidley Austin, a law firm out of um, Chicago, D.C., New York, they're everywhere. um, And we filed suit against the VA because no matter what we've done, Including publicly shame them, nothing's fixed it. Where so we just go from that, here, Lauren. Well, we've asked the court, and we don't go to the VA kangaroo court. We go to the federal circuit because that circuit has the judicial authority over federal agencies and their rules. Mm. So we've asked them to examine specific rules that are, have been identified. We all sat together and figured out which ones were the most impacting to our community. Negatively impacting our community. And we asked the court to determine whether or not these rules are legal. And they've been served, everybody's been served. And obviously, the holidays are coming. So we believe that the first thing is going to happen is VA is going to file a um, motion to dismiss for jurisdiction. And we're pretty sure we're going to survive that because this is about their rules. This isn't about any person or how they're impacting or how they're implementing the rules. It's just about the rules' existence. So that's our next step.
1: Well, I want people to know where to go to find out more information about your organization, and that would be at veteran-warriors.org. And there are two groups that are also active uh, in the organization. One is a private group, and the other is a more open Facebook group. And you provide assistance to veterans of all eras and explain these unexplainable things, because I'm certain our listeners are thinking, holy cow, how do you make it through this kind of thing? But the system needs to be exposed for the deficiencies that are there. It's not rocket science. It can be fixed. But unfortunately, the logic Behind bureaucracy doesn't seem to be logic. It's illogic. So, Lauren, thank you for sharing what's going on. And, Les, I'd like you to speak to it from a veteran hearing some of these details for the first time.
5: Uh, first time? I, I am so frustrated hearing this. I, I'm i sitting here, and I'm, I'm faceless. I, I, um, my face is red. I'm, I'm kind of pissed off that this is going that, um, this is even going on. I don't know why the change was needed. Um, we, we've talked in other shows about how important this is. Uh, it just reverts back to uh, how hard it was for veterans to and how bad the hospitals were back then. And even to seek very simple care, it seems like when something's working and they just throw money at it and the money never seems to reach the veteran or the care. This is, this is like we're back in the 60s again.
1: Very much so. And um, Lauren, thank you for shedding light on the details of this, because this is so complex and so crazy. And yet, if someone just listens, it can be solved and fixed. And so I'm hoping that you all make great headway and that we wish you Godspeed. And
2: well, Thank you very much. That goes well. Exactly, your lips to POTUS's ears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't have a red phone or anything, but I we will make well sure waste. that this this uh, gets out and, and about and thank you for sharing it today I know it's very close to your heart and you've given it such huge effort be well
2: thank you you as well thank you for having us on thank you
0: for tuning in today to Military Network Radio you can find our show at our website www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio also www.MilitaryNetworkRadio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance